sit down and buckle up. It's time for the Pirate Monk Podcast. Welcome to another episode of the Pirate Monk Podcast. Hey, I'm Nate uh, here with Aaron. We got a great guest coming up. Uh, I'm, I'm thinking before then, we, uh, before we get to our guest, Aaron, uh, do we have any questions left from our visit to Albuquerque? We sure do, but not unless Sean rolls that intro. It's questions from Albuquerque. Questions from Albuquerque here on the Pirate Monk Podcast. Okay, questions from Albuquerque. Here's our question for today. Our question for today is, how do I deal with relapsing? How do I deal with relapsing? Like a simple question, but there's so many different directions that yeah. that could go. What's the first thing that comes to your mind? Well, I, I think I, I'd like to turn it around and say, how do I, what is the counterproductive way to deal with relapsing? Okay. Yeah. Are you going to get to the productive though? We're going to get to the positive, right? I think so. Yeah. Okay. All right. But, but Let's here's, start here's, with here's, negative. Go. Okay. Let us not go to shame and hatred and recrimination and all. when you're learning to walk or learning to ride your bike or acquiring any new skills, such as learning to walk without this crutch that kept you erect for all those years. Um, Is that a pun? Was was that a sexual addiction pun? <laughs> It could, could well have been. Yes, I suppose there it was. I hadn't even thought about it. Oh, sorry. Uh, okay. Um, my mind is. Okay, so the crutch that kept me erect all these years. Go on. I'm, I'm really, I really am stuck with that visualization. But... I should have said upright. I should okay. have said. <laughs> I don't know if that helps at this point, but totally my fault. Shouldn't have mentioned it. Okay, start start your thought again. Go on. <laughs> look, look. Uh, we found. We found that addiction at some point in our lives because it allowed us somehow to regain at least momentarily our emotional balance and function. Over time, we came to see that that thing that we thought was helping us was actually harmful to ourselves and to others. Uh, now we have cast that crutch aside and we're having to learn how to operate to, to move without it. And it's new and unfamiliar and our instincts are wrong. And especially when we are sideswiped by unexpected circumstance, whether it's uh, a physical circumstance or an emotional circumstance, uh, it's not at all unusual for us to lose our balance and wind up in the ditch. And uh, what we don't want to do at that point, first of all, let's not pretend it didn't happen. It's really, really important that we're honest with ourselves and at least one other person as soon as a relapse happens, a slip of any kind. And it can be anything from I've crossed a line that I know uh, is, uh, is a serious line. Perhaps I haven't gone all the way to, to, to what others might call a relapse, but for me, it's trouble, right? It's yellow light versus red light behavior, or whether it's just an absolute, you know, catastrophe where I've just face planted back into the worst of my behavior. In either case, it's crucially important that I'm honest with myself and with somebody else. I'm going to live in reality. I can't do that, by the way, if I am in uh, a toxic atmosphere that is shame-based, that is going to drive me into hiding. If I know that I'm going to get hammered, I'm going to get punished if I admit the truth, then it's going to be very difficult. So I need to be in grace-based relationships, hopefully in a grace-based community where there isn't a penalty. If anything, I'm rewarded for my honesty. Right? Uh, and now it's time to get back on my feet, usually with the help of other people, and to assess and learn from uh, the experience and uh, get rolling again. Okay. I am building my database, my mental database, of what works and what doesn't. <laughs> what, and until what, that database is complete, my instincts uh, from time to time are going to be wrong. And I'm going to, if I'm not going to fall down, I'm at least going to wobble. What you're saying 
is so important to me. Um, this summer, I've had some conversation about chips, and I have a, a love-hate relationship with sobriety yeah. chips. Yeah. Uh, the love part is that I'm very motivated by having any kind of physical, like, ooh, you earned this belt in a martial art, and I'm trying to get to the next one. Like That can right. be very motivating. Um, but they don't ever take your belt away, where yeah. that's where if somebody has like a year of sobriety and they relapse and they have to start back at day one, yeah. that can feel devastating sure. because it feels like you've lost that achievement of, sure. no, I've been sober for this time. But what you just said, which I think is so important is I am never starting back at day one because right. I, I had all the lessons of those hundred days. Mm -hmm. And now as I start again, it's not sliding all the way back down to the bottom of the mountain, not even right. close, probably. So can you speak to that a little? Because I think, oh, man, that's how most people, myself included, and certainly people I've talked to, that's how it feels after a relapse. Yeah. I don't think I can say it any better than you just said it. Aaron. And I think it's, it's common. It's one of the reasons why we do not have chips in Samson. And, and, and that also speaks to my own character. Because uh, I tend to be, uh, a part of me tends to be status driven. And so uh, during my 12-step experience, there were times when I was in relapse, but because I was carrying heavy metal and didn't want to turn that chip in and didn't want to admit to other people <laughs> that, that I'd lost my balance, I kept my mouth shut. And at that point, you know, my recovery... It, in essence, was stymied. I wasn't learning. I wasn't gaining. I wasn't progressing because I wasn't able to be honest. So, okay. Uh, how do I deal with relapsing? One is to just be honest in real time. Uh, if I'm not, then I'll find that relapse to become a season of relapse much yeah. more quickly. Yeah. Um, and I, I think, go ahead. Yeah. And I'll tell you what, this, this will come into sharper focus in a few minutes when we get talking to our guest, because I have a suspicion that she is going to caution us against focusing on the behavior, the, what she would call the symptom, rather than on the system that is producing what I'm experiencing. So I guess the only other thing I would say in answer to our Albuquerque friend who asked this question is, well, and our, our guest is going to speak to this as well. Be compassionate with yourself. Yeah. yeah Be yeah. very gentle with yourself because any time that any of us experiences a relapse, there's a reason. There's, mm -hmm. there's some need. There's something crying out in us. And we went to that place to try to soothe that need. And that's a, that's a hurt. That's a wound place. So be, be gentle with yourself. Be nice. Yeah. Well, let's let our guest answer the rest of that question. I think that's a grand idea. All right. Well, stick around listeners and you'll get the rest of the story in just a moment here on the Pirate Monk Podcast. This episode of the Power Monk Podcast is sponsored by LifeWorks Counseling. Our good friends, Roan and Eva Hunter and their son, Roe, are not just members of the Samson Society, Sarah Society. They are also trauma-informed, certified sex addiction therapists with a tremendous amount of experience. Well, they and their team of counselors and recovery coaches are based in Madison, Mississippi, but thanks to the internet, they're able to work with people who live almost anywhere. So to find out more about what LifeWorks Counseling can do for you as an individual or as a couple or as a family, or to register for one of their upcoming intensives, go to lifeworks.ms. LifeWorks.ms. Welcome back to the Pirate Monk Podcast. We are so fortunate to have as our guest this week, uh, Jenna Remerska. She's the author of Altogether You, Experiencing Personal and Spiritual Transformation with Internal Family Systems Therapy. She's an expert 
in IFS and she has graciously allotted some time in her busy schedule to talk with us. Welcome, Jenna. Thanks for having me. It's great to be here. So we we have not talked about IFS for a while. I'm I'm thinking over a year, Nate. Mm-hmm. Probably yeah, more. So, yeah. 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 so Jenna, can you just start out with explaining to our listeners what is that about and why are you so passionate about it? Uh, one of our dear friends on the show, Brian Kay, loves mm-hmm. that's that's the center of his practice, and I I know his reasons. I want to hear your reasons. <laughs> well, let me ask you a question. Have you ever done something that you didn't want to do? <laughs> Nate, Nate definitely has. Yeah. Okay. Excellent. I'll, I'll answer yes for Nate. <laughs> we, we have one hand. Or have you ever felt something that you didn't want to feel? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think pretty much we have a universality that everyone can say amen, yes to that. Yeah. And When I began my journey as a counselor back in the day, specializing in addiction treatment um, and specifically compulsive sexual behavior and betrayal trauma, uh, I was taught and stepped into practice under the old way of understanding behavior, which is still largely predominant, which is a very move against approach. Mm -hmm. which basically understands that part of you that's doing that thing or feeling that thing is bad. And we need to Mm -hmm. move against it. We need to kick it out of the system. We need to get rid of that, that we need to repent and pray it away. We need to just jettison that guy. And the challenge is that the individual who has a part that's engaged in a difficult behavior has another part of them that wants that part to stop. And mm-hmm. so the, t- the typical way that we approach mental health challenges, um, addiction, eating, suicidality, pick a topic, it doesn't matter, is to move against it and to try to get our parts that want the person to be sober or to stop feeling depressed or to stop having suicidal ideation to align with the parts of the individual that want to stop feeling and doing all those things and mm-hmm. try to power over the part that's feeling or doing the wonky thing. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't work. In fact, for most people, it makes the feeling or the behavior stronger. And what I discovered after working residential, intens- intensive outpatient and private practice is that, gosh, our relapse rates are incredibly high in this field of addiction we are seeing a skyrocketing uh, epidemic of mental health and suicidality and homicidality. And the way we are approaching this doesn't work. And I would drag my sorry self through the door every night, utterly exhausted because I'd been wrestling crocodiles all day long and I was losing Mm -hmm. as the therapist. I was losing. And this went along for a period of time Uh, and then one day I encountered internal family systems and in about five seconds, my entire world turned upside down and not just my practice, not just my clinical practice, my spiritual life, my personal life, all of my relationships immediately transformed when I heard the revolutionary, but simple concepts of internal family systems, which are, we all have a core self. IFS calls itself, people in faith traditions don't like that because we use the word self to mean awful, bad, fleshly, sinful, yuck. Um, The way we in faith communities talk about this core concept is the image of God inside of you and inside of me. And guess what? It's inside of every single one of us. And because it is By definition, the very nature of the divine, it cannot be damaged. No matter how much trauma we have experienced, no matter how much trauma we have inflicted, our core God image is the healing, undamaged, untarnished, unbroken resource inside of us at all times. And we have that walking around with us every single day. And we also have many different parts, 
right? Because I know about that. One part of me wants to eat all the Oreos and the other part of me would like me to go to the gym and eat only kale. And those two parts of me are at war with each other and they have completely different personalities, objectives for me and interests, right? And it turns out that's very common. And all of us have all these different positive parts of us that make us who we are. I have a very organized part because I'm an Enneagram one. My husband is an Enneagram eight. So he has a part that's very justice oriented that wants to advocate for justice. We have different parts, but they're all fundamentally good. They make us who we are. But we don't just walk around with good parts doing good things and this wonderful quality of the God image, poof, flowing out of us all the time. Um, And that's because bad stuff happens. And kind of in the clinical world, we call that trauma and we differentiate big T and little T and chronic and blah, 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 but basically bad stuff. And Mm -hmm. in in Christendom, we call it sin, Mm -hmm. meaning things are not the way that they're supposed to be. But however we conceptualize it, it could be really intentional, awful things like someone is actively harming us with sexual abuse, physical abuse, verbal abuse, neglect, abandonment. Or it could be some of the things like I've experienced, like bullying um, or my father being in the military. So I moved every year my whole life growing up and I was 40 something years old and a therapist for crying out loud before I realized that was actually a trauma because I'd never never had a home. And I was always the kid on the outside looking in. It doesn't mean that somebody was doing something malicious to you that you had bad stuff happen, but bad stuff covers over parts of us like a blanket thrown over somebody's head. And what happens is when that happens, when our parts in IFS speak become burdened in Christianese, we call that covered with sin. They get frozen in time at the moment that that happened. And they get stuck underneath the burden. So their positive essence is obscured. We no longer have access to it. And and the part can't see out from under the burden. It can only see the burden. So for example, I have a young part, a part of me when I was young that was very creative and expressive and excited about things. And I have a very distinctive memory as a little kid Uh, being in a bakery and putting my hands on the glass because Mm -hmm. there were like cupcakes in the (laughs) glass and they were really cool colors with like the sprinkles. And I was a little kid and I put my hands on the glass and I got screamed at for being bad. And so this creative, expressive, excited part of me got covered over with shame. Mm -hmm. And that part of me got stuck at two years old. And so as a grown woman now, when I am going through my life and I mean, I got all kind of adult stuff happening. Like I've got master's degrees and books and like I run a private practice and speak and teach and like I have all these adult things going on in my world. And if I get that part of me triggered, it jumps up, takes me over. I lose instant access to the God image that might have been present in that moment, kind of like clouds covering the sun. The sun doesn't go away, but we no longer see it because the clouds in front of it. And all of a sudden I feel two years old. I think the thoughts that that part thinks, which is I'm horrible. I'm so bad. Something's wrong with me. I feel the feelings that that part feels, which is toxic shame which is almost an intolerable feeling. If you've ever felt it, you know what I'm talking about. Mm -hmm. And somatically, my body carries that feeling. My shoulders curve in. I get a pit in my stomach. My skin starts to flush because that part is now up front leading my system. And I can go from being a 53-year-old woman to a two-year-old about like that. And in IFS... We understand that's just a part of who I am. And if you think about a human being as uh, an an upside down triangle, where the point is on the bottom and the long edge is on the top, think of the image of God at the center. 
that's who you are. That's who I am. That's who everyone listening to us truly is at their core. But these young, tender parts that have become burdened with things like shame, uh, brokenness, aloneness, isolation, worthlessness, these IFS calls are exiles. And they're at the tip, that bottom tip of the triangle. They fuel everything. This is why, quote, trauma work, which is about unburdening those exiles, is absolutely key to solving all the rest of our problems. But if you've ever had that experience like I have where a two-year-old shame exile gets triggered and takes you over and floods you, you know as well as I do. That's like we can't that survive that. It's intolerable. So if you look at that triangle on the top left-hand side, we get a cluster of parts that get blankets thrown over them as well. And they're like, oh my gosh, we need to fix this. Now, if there's a loving, compassionate adult present that can do repair, this doesn't happen. But many times we don't have that. So our young parts in our system take on these burdened jobs, trying to prevent that from ever happening again. And we call the guys in the upper left-hand corner the managers because their job is to proactively manage our lives to prevent that from ever happening. And I got a whole pack of these guys. I've got people-pleasing and perfectionism and control and all that. I've got a whopper of an inner critic too, which is one of those big kind of manager parts. Now, the behaviors, the jobs that those parts are stuck in is not who they are, just like the shame is not who my little one is. It's a burden that they've gotten stuck in to try to prevent the pain of the exiles. It's okay, not so, their authentic self. So sticking with your your bakery story. Yes. You'd like it's so easy to see the image of God in a two-year-old because right. they're just unfiltered. Yes. And so what you were experiencing in that moment was wonder and delight. Mm-hmm. And rejoicing and express a physical expression of joy. All of yes. that is like so God's image in us. Yes. That was crushed, and your exile became Shame. if you're ever feeling this delight or anything, you're you're something's going wrong, you're gonna get in trouble. You don't have any idea the shame, all those shame voices. So that's the exile. Does yep. the manager then say, Hey, you're having this feeling, you're having this thing. Let's let me I want to suppress your joy. You got to don't don't act out in that way. Is that what your manager's doing? Nope, and that's a great question and this is why both sides of the triangle are so critical. The managers are proactive and their theme is never again. So when I got a part that became burdened with shame that if I ever do it wrong, I am bad. That's what my exile believes. If I do it wrong, whatever do it wrong is, that means I am bad. Not I did something bad. I am bad. My managers are like, we are never letting that ever happen again. So we're going to do it perfectly. We're going to please the snot out of everyone around us so they don't yell at us. So that that little exile of I am bad never gets triggered and takes over. So they run my life in very perfect ways and they get me graduate degrees from Harvard and they write books and they develop things and they're like a whole little thing. And at some point they wear out because what they're doing is not what they were designed to do. Notice Mm -hmm. that that driven energy of, I have to do it perfectly. I have to be the best. I have to please everybody. I, I have to always say yes That is very different than, gosh, I'd like to do this job well, Mm -hmm. right? It's a burdened energy because it's trying to prevent the exile from being triggered. But the managers will fail because they're doing a job that's too big for them. And when they do, we need the team on the upper right-hand side of the triangle to jump in. And that is what IFS calls the firefighters. And the reason IFS calls them firefighters is because they do exactly what real firefighters do. I may have a beautiful home with a grand piano and a lovely, beautiful painting. And if my house catches on fire, the firefighters could give an absolute rip about my grand piano and oil painting. They are going to knock down the front door and they are going to turn on that hose full blast and go and destroy 
those priceless objects in my home that I love dearly, and they don't care. Why? Because the only thing the firefighters care about is putting out the fire. And so when the parts that get stuck in jobs of putting out the pain of the exiles when the managers fail get triggered, they jump in to try to repress the pain of the exiles. So the managers work and work and work and they finally fail. The exile gets triggered and the firefighters jump in. And the firefighters are all the guys who show up in my office. These sweet ones are the alcoholic parts, the cutting parts, the um, drug addicted parts, the sexually addicted parts. This is suicidal parts. This is dissociative parts. This is homicidal parts. These are all the quote bad ones. The mm-hmm. managers look real shiny and they're very well received in church. They always bring the casserole and sign up to lead VBS. The firefighters are the ones we don't talk about. We lower our voice and we pretend that we don't talk about that. And the firefighters and the managers are actually doing the same thing, just in opposite ways. And the problem is, if we try to take one of those firefighters out of the picture and say, you are bad, we've just made two mistakes. Number one, we're mistaking the part for the burden that it carries. Mm-hmm. And we're looking at the symptom not the system. And it is a system that is driving the symptom. So if all we do is look at someone like a monolith and we say, you are an addict, Mm -hmm. or we say, you are depressed, or you are suicidal, or you are dissociated, and we mistake a person for their part, We have just made a huge error because people are not their parts. Parts are not their burdens. And we need to treat a system, not a symptom. And so when you go to an AA meeting and you step into a room of people who have taken one firefighter and locked it in the basement, the drinking firefighter, more or less successfully, You will have to walk through a cloud of smoke and stand in a very long line to get caffeine before you sit down next to all of your buddies who've gained 30 pounds. Do you know why? Because we cannot take one firefighter out and do nothing about the rest of that triangle without expecting other firefighters to escalate and jump in. And the thing is, firefighters and managers work in a hierarchy. And they are even to the pain of the exiles. So people who have, um, how shall I say this? If I binge on chocolate periodically when I'm feeling a little sad and it's really no big deal and it's not managing my life, I probably have a little exile. My exile is in a little bit of pain. So I have a little bit of a firefighter that eats chocolate. If I cannot stop eating chocolate and I gain 300 pounds, I promise you I have an exile that is carrying a 300 pound blanket of trauma because Mm -hmm. my firefighter only has to be strong enough to suppress the pain of my exile. And I can each of those corners will be proportionate to the other. That's exactly right. And this is what we call a midlife crisis when people go from, and it's also what we call uh, a repentance. <laughs> when people go from, I'm the high performing person with the family and the picket fence and they leave their job, leave their family, hook up with somebody who's 30 years younger and buy a convertible. That's just an exhausted pack of managers now being swapped for firefighters. And similarly, the, I used to drink and drug and go with those who do, but then I met Jesus and now I'm doing it all perfectly. We've Mm -hmm. just swapped a whole pack of firefighters for a whole pack of managers. We haven't addressed the system and we also haven't touched the God image at the core, which is where the power to heal lies. Okay. So before we get to the healing part, a couple questions for you. 
Um, one is you're using a lot of uh, identity words when mm-hmm. when we start identifying ourselves as any of these places, whether it's my brokenness down at the bottom of the exiles, whether I'm feeling good about myself because my identity lies with all the stuff I'm doing, or whether I identify myself with the behaviors that aren't helpful I'm participating in. So I want to get back to how identity is so important in that, and I'm sure that gets to the God image part. But the other piece before I can get to the healing part, it seems pretty important that I have clearly defined who the exile is, that it's not just a vague notion of, oh, I felt shame, but I I don't know where that's going back to. Or if I haven't identified the manager, if I haven't identified the firefighter, it seems pretty hard to even jump into this. And that seems like a lot of a lot of work to identify those things. So talk to me about that. Yeah, I'd love to. It's actually very intuitive because most people intuitively speak this way. We'll say, you know what, Sally, thank you for the invitation to the party on Friday. Gosh, a part of me really wants to come. I haven't seen you in a long time. And a part of me is so exhausted. I've had a really long week at work and I haven't been sleeping well. And, um, would it be okay if I just came for 30 minutes? We just intuitively understand that we're not a monolith. We have many different parts. And IFS gives us, IFS is certainly not the first approach that has taught us that we have many different parts, like starting with Jung and Freud and many others, inner voice dialogue, inner child work. But IFS is the first, and to my knowledge, the only one, that gives us a concrete way to work with it, to apply it, to make transformation and healing, to heal the trauma and and transform these parts that are stuck in these roles. Um, And IFS would not use the word brokenness. Brokenness is very pathologizing and usually comes from a spiritualizing manager that wants to distance itself from the thing that the other part is doing or feeling. Um, IFS would say, who you are is good and all parts of you are good. The blankets they're stuck under are not good. But the solution is not to try to to strengthen the managers against those. It's to connect to the God image, to unburden those parts so they can be restored to who they truly are, to their rightful positive selves. And IFS, if you work with an IFS therapist, if you're fortunate enough to get in, um, has a very clear way of doing that. And this has, it's the fastest growing model of healing in the world. And for very good reason, there's over 11,000 people on the waiting list to get into a level one training right now. Um, It's incredibly difficult to get into an IFS therapist or to get the training. So I feel really privileged to have done that and been mentored by Dr. Richard Schwartz who developed the model. And it has broken my heart that there's this huge gap between, okay, this sounds great, but how do we apply this? How do we figure out who our parts are? How do we like connect to the image of God inside of us? Um, So I've created a shorthand of the IFS model that anybody can use and um, can connect with their parts in a very practical and easy way. And I've published that in my second book. Um, And it's, I call it move toward. Because the spirit of the divine, the spirit of the IFS model is moving toward all of our parts with curiosity and compassion. And that lines up with me because the way I observed it, sort of looking at scripture, if you will, if we're looking at Christendom, but this would be true across um, uh, spiritual belief uh, approaches, sort of if you look at the Pharisees, they were a very move against crowd. Like we're up here all high and holy. We're moving against all of you people and that bad stuff over there because we're, you know, so um. And Jesus was a move toward kind of guy. He moved toward the lepers. He moved toward the prostitute. He moved toward the storm. He moved toward the cross. I would suggest that God is a triune God, one God, three parts, 
we are in the image of God, one person, many parts, and that the solution to moving toward the God image inside of us is to move toward our parts in the same way that Jesus did to heal them rather than getting in our managers and trying to move against them to kick them out because we can't kick out any of our parts and we don't want to because if we do, we would lose the positive essence that's underneath the blanket that that part is carrying. For example, most of the people that I work with who've struggled with compulsive sexual behavior, which is the blanket that the part is carrying, they come in wanting to get rid of the part that's engaged in compulsive sexual behavior. That makes sense. Mm -hmm. But we don't want to get rid of that part because when we help that part connect to the God image inside of them so that that blanket, the burden, the sin that that part is carrying is released, it then becomes freed up to be what it was originally designed to be. And for most people, that is the part of them that was designed to connect in true, authentic intimacy. So even if it were possible to take that part and kick it out of the system, it would be devastating to do that because we would have just truncated the person's ability to connect in authentic intimacy. So the answer is the absolute reverse of everything we've ever been taught, rather than move against, the answer is move toward. And so, so, what, so, so take that example. And what does that look like for a person who says, okay, uh, my firefighter is self-soothing. Uh, what's happening with my exiles with this sexual behavior? And, oh, it gives me sweet relief for a short period of time until that makes the shame of the exile stronger. And then the manager has to come and try to deal with it. That's right. What does it look like for a person to move toward that firefighter to take the blanket off? I am so glad you asked. So if you'd like, we could do a little experiential right here, right now. I could guide you through that process if you're up for it. Are you game? Sure. Okay. Hey, sign me up. I'm in it too. All right. I love it. So this is just inside the quiet of our own minds, but that way our listeners can participate in this experience and get a flavor for what this is like. It's very different than being in our prefrontal cortex thinking brain. This is an experiential um, activity. So if it feels comfortable for you to gently begin to bring your awareness inside Maybe you might like to join me in taking a couple of slow, deep breaths to make that transition from awareness of all the things that are outside of us to our inner experience. And I'd invite you to call to mind a firefighter that you recognize is probably active in your own system. It doesn't have to be a big bad firefighter. It can just be whatever tends to come in to try to bring soothing or nurturing to your system when you're feeling alone or ashamed or sad. So it might be eating all the chocolate or another glass of wine or a part that wants to watch porn and masturbate or just checking out on Netflix or Facebook. And once you have that part of you in mind, I'd invite you to let your mind drift back to the last time that that part of you really was upfront was sort of in charge of your system for a moment. And when you have a sense of that, you're ready for step one of move toward, which is just notice. Notice how this part of you shows up when it's in charge. It may be through 
an urge to do something or a body sensation. Might be some ruminating thoughts. So just notice how does this part of you typically show up? And as soon as you begin to notice it, it's likely if you're like me and many other people that you'll have lots of other parts of you that don't like this part and what it does. And that's really normal. So if you're noticing any of that kind of energy from concerned parts, Let those parts of you know that their opinions really matter and are probably quite valid. And see if those parts of you would be willing to soften just for a minute, not to allow this initial part to take over, but just so that the God image inside of you that is always open-hearted, connected and compassionate towards all parts so that the God image can move toward this first part, this firefighter, to see if it might be able to help it. And stay with the noticing of the firefighter until you can begin to notice it with a little bit of curiosity or a little bit of open-heartedness. And once you've got a little bit of curiosity toward this firefighter, see if you can send that curiosity or that compassion to the part of you that's stuck doing this thing. And then you're ready for step two, which is no. Just ask this part of you, what do you want me to know about you? And don't try to figure it out. Just ask the question and wait and see if you get a sense that comes up. And you may want to ask this part of you some getting to know you questions like, when did you first feel like you had to start doing this job for me? What are you afraid would happen if you couldn't do this job anymore? How do you feel about this job? Are there some ways that it is successful? in trying to help me? And are there some ways that it may not be so successful in getting to the goal? And you might take a moment to just ask this part, is there anything else that you'd like me to know about you right now? And just wait and see if anything comes to mind. And if you've gotten a sense of the positive intention of this part of you, not saying that what it's doing is a great thing, but how it's trying to help you, perhaps avoid pain or shame or loneliness, 
Or maybe you've gotten a sense of how long it's been stuck in this job, how exhausted it is. If it feels right, you may want to just send it a little kindness, a little appreciation for how hard it's been working, trying to help. And when it feels like you've learned as much as this part would like you to know right now, then you're ready for the final step, step three, which is need. Just ask this part, is there anything that you need from me right now to feel a little more comforted, a little better cared for? And you may get a sense in your mind's eye that this part may just need something internally. It may be exhausted and it just needs a nap or maybe suddenly it's become very small, very young. And it would just like the God image inside of you to give it a hug. Or maybe this part of you needs something in your external world Maybe it's pushing back against a really strong, overworking, people-pleasing, spiritualizing, or critical manager. Maybe it needs you to work with that part so it doesn't have to jump in quite so often or so strongly. So if you get a sense of anything that this part might need from you, and that's something that you can provide either now or in the future, go ahead and set a gentle intention with this part of you. And be sure to follow up because this is deep attachment healing work, inner attachment. And this part has probably felt very alone and isolated in its work for a very long time. So if you've had a little connection with this part today and you set an intention to do something on its behalf or to come back to check on it again, be sure to follow through. And then with a little kindness, this part of you that has shown up to share a little bit of itself today and maybe also expressing kindness and appreciation for parts that were concerned about this part that maybe gave you a little space to be with it thanking those as well and whenever you feel ready you're welcome to gently begin to bring your attention from your inner experience back out into the room around you. So that's a little experience of move toward. It's just three simple steps. Notice with an open heart, know, and need. And pretty much anybody can remember that. So when we're triggered, in shame, in overworking, in acting out. We can do that. We can notice what's going on in me. What am I feeling? What am I sensing? What does this part want me to know about why it's taking over? And what does it need from me, me, the God image right now, so that the God image can stay in the leadership of my inner experience and it doesn't have to take over. Of course, that's not the whole IFS model, and that is not trauma unburdening work, but it's a simple, concise, easy to remember three-step approach that consolidates IFS in an inner prayer, an inner attachment of the God image inside of us to our parts, no matter what kind of behavior or feeling they've gotten stuck underneath. It's profound attachment repair work that we are doing on the inside of us 
so that we can become secure attachment figures on the outside of us. Nate, I'm curious. Wonderful. Tell me, yeah. tell me about, tell me about your experience as you went through that, without having to be, you know, specific about what you were thinking about. But what? Yeah, were, no, 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 no. It was. Uh, I, I I tracked experientially. Uh, was able to follow Jenna's guidance through that experience. I was able to identify. Uh, I was able to differentiate. It was interesting. Uh, you know that core self, my true identity, from this what I might otherwise have just thought an evil impulse, but this uh, <laughs> this firefighter that even if he's not coming in the house, he always seems to be at the door, right? <laughs> uh, and, uh, and it does, it changes everything to adopt uh, a curious and compassionate approach to that part of me. Uh, and I found myself coming up with answers to the questions that Jenna was posing that made intuitive sense. So thank you, Jenna. Tell, tell me if this is common. As I was thinking and asking those questions to my firefighter, it's been stuff that I've been thinking about since I was in England with Nate talking about it, like a very specific thing that that firefighter's been there since like late elementary school. Yeah. And it was fun to ask those questions, especially like what, what fire do you think you're even putting out that it's, it's not simply self-soothing, but somewhere in the midst of those questions, I felt like that firefighter making a request to go have a conversation with the managers who are making it much harder for them anyways. So, Hey, would you go talk to them about this too? Yes, is that <laughs> exactly. Well, I think you've really hit on a key point here and why it's so critical to treat the system because firefighters are pushing back. They are polarized with managers. So often what I see, and they tend to cluster in different ways, but where I'm located, this part of the world, the typical clients that I work with, I see the cluster of managers that tend to come in is spiritualizing, overworking, and perfectionism. And the firefighters that come in are alcoholism, sexual addiction, and when those are taken away, suicidal ideation. And if we just try to eliminate or deactivate some of the firefighters, it's kind of like you've got a team that's sailing a boat And you got three guys on one side of the boat and three guys on the other side of the boat and they're hanging on to the rigging and they're all leaning back over the boat. If, if one team comes forward, the boat's going to flip. Like you have, they have to come together equally. You have to work with both sides because if you don't understand the system, you're not going to be able to successfully treat a symptom. You may be able to suppress it for quite a long time, but you're not going to be able to treat it if you don't treat the whole system and then ultimately get permission to unburden the exiles. And I loved, so I really appreciate the point that you're making. We have to work with both sides because it's a polarity. These symptoms don't exist in isolation, even though we tend to have people who are firefighter heavy and we tend to have people who are manager heavy and usually they marry each other. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. But, and that, yeah. But suppression is not healing, just as sobriety is not recovery. Exactly. So, sobriety and recovery are not the same thing. And that you hear in 12 step meetings, for example, your addiction's out in the parking lot doing push ups. Just like Nate, you were saying, mm-hmm. it's not in the house, but it seems like it's always at the door. Well, mm-hmm. if this sweet part that's stuck under this blanket of whatever it, the blanket is that it's. Tr- gotten stuck doing, never had anybody take the blanket off of it. It can't take the blanket off of itself. And mm-hmm. and putting it outside the house and shutting the door does nothing about the blanket. So right. if we don't get the part with the blanket in relationship with the God image inside so that the blanket can be removed, it is going to always be, st- we may have successfully shut the door at least for a while but it's always going to be standing there going, Hey, 
Hey, I got to blame. I'm suffering. And a, a powerful piece of the healing that IFS brings that no one else does is that we get in relationship. We don't get in control. We get in relationship, we don't get in control. And the way I read scripture, that's exactly what Jesus did. It's, it's ironic that thinking about this, I feel like, you know, we've talked a lot about the opposite of addiction being connection. Um, that my firefighters, it's harder to be compassionate and kind to them because they seem like the villains, but they seem closer to the intimate, deepest parts than my managers yes. who uh, are not as much about trying to solve for intimacy, false or otherwise. Yeah. And yet I can find it, it much easier to be compassionate to the managers than the firefighters. Sure, because the managers are often involved in very shiny looking behavior that's often very rewarded in our culture. And the firefighters are stuck under blankets that look exactly the opposite. But the reality is that all of them are good. Mm -hmm. Under the blanket, they're all good. They've gotten stuck under these very different blankets, some of which are shiny blankets and some of which are scratchy blankets, but they're all stuck and their authentic identity is obscured. And they're most of the time they're very young because most of these experiences happen in early life. And however old our exile is, that's usually how old the managers and firefighters are. For example, the three-year-old who's under the bed listening to mom and dad scream in the other room and discovers that if he masturbates, it makes his body feel a little bit better from all of this terror for just a moment. That three-year-old with the exile of I'm not safe and I'm all alone is a split second younger than the firefighter that learned masturbation will make this better for a minute. Those are very often commingled parts and they're little children who have been alone trying to solve adult sized problems and they don't have the power to do it. And they're desperately longing for the adult inside that they don't know is there to show up and care for them. And so often we may get an image of these parts and they may look big and fierce or whatever. And when they've come into relationship with the God image, we're often very surprised. Oh my goodness, that's a little kid. Like that firefighter that was doing that awful, scary thing is a scared little boy. And he desperately just wants me to hold him because that's the authentic state of that part. They're just little and they're trying their best to help in really unhelpful ways. And how beautiful that those firefighters that seem so big and far more powerful than me, when I start from the image of God and move towards and find them to be right-sized. Ooh, we're back to right-sized, Nate. Yeah. And they are right-sized. It feels like I have more power in that conversation than when I just tried to manage them. We have authentic power versus manager-led power. Manager-led power is move against. Mm -hmm. It's forceful and it's driven by fear, hate, and shame. God image-led power is loving, connecting, and healing. It welcomes all parts. The phrase, let the little ones come to me and do not get in the way comes to mind. Um, and these parts are all pretty little, um, for the most part. And yeah, it's beautiful. Well, Jenna, how do people get to listen to more of your great thoughts or read some of these books? How do they, how do they find you? Sure. Well, um, I've got two books out now and working on a third. If they're interested in all the details of how IFS integrates with Christian or Catholic spirituality, they can find my book, Altogether You, on Amazon or wherever books are sold. Um, if they're interested in the move toward approach that is notice, know, and need, I've published that in um, my second book called Altogether Us, which also integrates IFS with a whole huge variety of topics such as sexuality, addiction, parenting, 
um, as well as other therapy types like EMDR, polyvagal theory, a lot of trauma healing work. So that's an incredible resource. Um, they're welcome to come to my website, which is, wait for it, movetoward.com. And uh, I have a lot of free guided meditations and videos that are available on my website. Um, I've got free guided meditations on the Insight Timer app. I've got guided meditations for addiction, for betrayal trauma, for sexual addiction, for all manner of different things, for a morning parts check-in if people want to be guided and checking in with their parts in the morning. Um, I've got lots of free resources to offer people. So um, yeah, they're welcome to connect with me in any of those ways. Awesome. Well, well Jenna, thank you for being so generous with your insights. You are a very easy interview. Some people we just have to extract, uh, you know, uh, uh, you know, excavate uh, any kind of an answer. And you just have been so generous and wonderful. But, I cannot thank you enough. But don't go away yet, because we're going to wrap this whole thing up right now. So, listeners, oh, okay. all right. Send us your questions and your thoughts and all that stuff to piratemonkpodcast at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. And uh, that's that's about all the time we've got for today, Nate. Oh, it is. Okay. So, Jenna, I don't know if you've listened to the show before, but the way we end it, really, is we, 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 uh, we say hi, personally, using our names. We say, uh, uh, yeah, we, we do, a, we do a, a personal goodbye to the listeners. So, that's it for this episode of the Pirate Monk Podcast. Until next time, I'm Nate. I'm Aaron. And I'm Jenna. And we are your pals on the Pirate Monk Podcast. The Pirate Monk Podcast is produced by members of the Samson Society. Send your feedback or questions to piratemonkpodcast at gmail.com. Please give us a five-star review on iTunes and share the podcast with a friend. For more information, please visit samsonsociety.com.